The Bible is the most read book in history. It's the most translated book in history. It's the best-selling book uh, in history. But what is it that makes the Bible so important? Well, the Bible claims to be God's message to man. Uh, 2 Timothy 3.16 says this, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching and rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. All Scripture is God-breathed. Now, some translations say all Scripture is inspired. But the Bible's not inspired like an inspiring author writes an inspiring novel or an inspiring motivational book. Now, the word inspired means literally to uh, breathe. Uh, you know, as I'm talking to you, my breath is moving over my vocal cords and words are coming out of my mouth. You know, my breath is my words. And the same is true with God. Uh, the, the Bible is God's word. It is God's very breath to us. And as a result of that, Psalm 119 tells us all of your commands can be trusted. Everything in the Bible can be trusted because everything in the Bible is God's word. It is God's breath. Now, there are some amazing reasons why we can trust the Bible, and we're just going to march through some of those here today. The first reason I can trust the Bible is because it is historically accurate. Uh, the Bible is not just doctrinally, theologically, morally accurate. The Bible is historically accurate. It is a real story about real people in real places in real times. Now, that's important because Hebrews 6.18 says it is impossible for God to lie because God is truth. See, if there's one lie in this book, then it's not a godly book because God cannot lie. Psalm 33, 4 says, The word of the Lord is right and true. The word of the Lord is right and true. It's right and true not only about salvation, it's right and true about history. Now, one of the reasons why the Bible is such a, a good historical source is because it is primarily eyewitness accounts. Uh, Moses was there when the Red Sea split. Joshua was there when the walls of Jericho fell down. The disciples of Jesus were there and saw him resurrected. Matthew saw it, wrote it down. John saw it, wrote it down. Peter saw it, told Mark about it, and Mark wrote it down for Peter. Luke talked to all three of them and talked to Jesus' mother and other people and wrote it down. It's eyewitnesses' accounts of what happened. Now, we also know that the Bible is accurate by the extreme care with which the Bible has come to us. Uh, the Bible has been passed down from generation to generation with extreme care, particularly in regards to the Old Testament. When the Old Testament scribes would copy a scroll, when they would copy an old scroll to make a new scroll, they had a long list of rules that they had to follow in order to be sure that the copy was an exact copy. You know, every, every scroll had a specified number of columns to it. Each column had a specified uh, length and width. Uh, they had a rule that they had to copy letter by letter, not word by word. You know, you know how when, you, when you're just glancing at something and you see a word and you think it's one word, but it's really a different word, and so you, you make a mistake? And that happens to me all the time when I'm texting, because my phone thinks it's smarter than me, and it thinks it knows which word I want to use uh, more than I do, and so I'll text somebody, meet me for lunch, and they get a text that says, meet me for lunch. Okay? 
That doesn't happen in the Old Testament because they don't glance at a word and write down the wrong word. They have to copy letter by letter. Uh, they know how many letters of the alphabet are in each book. So you get done with copying a scroll of, uh, of Genesis. They know there are 1,653 A's in the book of Genesis. And so to check the scroll, they count the A's, and if they come up with 1,654, they burn the scroll. Because it's not accurate. They don't try and correct it. They burn it and start over. They know the middle letter in the first five books of the Bible. They know the middle letter in the Old Testament. And they find that letter, and then they count forward and backward in the scroll. And if they don't come up with the right number, they burn the scroll. Because it's not exact. The Dead Sea Scrolls were written about 100 years before Christ. They include copies of all the Old Testament books except Esther. And when they found the Dead Sea Scrolls in 1948, the earliest scrolls that we had of the Old Testament before that were actually from 900 years after Christ. We were depending on scrolls that were written, copied, 900 years after Christ. So with the Dead Sea Scrolls, we got a thousand-year jump in our ability to see what the oldest scrolls looked like. And when they compared the Dead Sea Scrolls with the thousand-year uh, scrolls a thousand years later, you know how much, what the percentage of difference was? It was 5%. Most of the differences were in how you spell names. In over a thousand years, and those Old Testament scribes had kept it right. You can trust the Bible because it's been given to us with great care. Now, archaeology has proven again and again that the people and the places that the Bible talks about are true. And people try to say, oh, this stuff's just all fables. It was made up far later. You know, none of this stuff happened when, when we think it happened in the Bible. But archaeology over and over and over again proves that the, the places and the names are accurate. Uh, just recently, Israeli archaeologists uh, discovered a coin dating from the 11th century B.C. It depicts a man with long hair fighting a large animal with a feline tail. The coin was found near the Sorek River, which was the border between the ancient Israelite and Philistine territories 3,100 years ago. Okay, so what's the deal with this guy with long hair fighting a lion that they find on a corn coin from 3,100 years ago right in the territory where the Israelites and the Philistines meet? That sounds like Samson. Samson killed a lion. It was a big deal back then. It was a, and it made it onto a coin that was commemorated in place, in time, in history. The where and the when that the Bible says Samson lived and did that, we've got archaeological proof. I mean, it's historically accurate. But the book of Acts, the book of Acts includes 54 cities, 39 countries, and 9 islands with complete historical accuracy. Now, not only is the Bible historically accurate, the Bible is scientifically accurate. And there is so much misunderstanding, so much baloney about this today. But the truth is, God is the one who wrote the laws of science. And God made sure that His Word does not contradict the laws of science. Now, the Bible is not a scientific textbook, obviously. I mean, you don't study the Bible to build a rocket. And the Bible doesn't use scientific language. But the Bible never, never, never gives you bad science. In fact, the Bible is always ahead of science. Johannes Kepler, famous mathematician, astronomer, said, Science is simply thinking God's thoughts after him. 
You know, God established the laws of physics, and we discovered them. God established the laws of thermodynamics, and we discovered them. God established the law of gravity, and, and we discovered it. The laws of mathematics, we discovered it. The Bible can be trusted because it is scientifically accurate. Because the laws of the universe were invented by God, and God understands them. In fact, God understood them in the past when we didn't. For thousands of years, we've misunderstood things scientifically that the Bible had right. The truth never changes. Science changes constantly. I mean, there is nothing more worthless than an outdated science book. You ever try to sell one at a garage sale? Oh, yeah, they're lining up for that. Medical science. You know, this happens all the time. I mean, how many articles do you read that now they say that something that they said used to be good for you, now it gives you cancer? Usually it's something that tastes good. Okay? But science is constantly changing. You know, stuff that was scientific fact 1,500 years ago was disproven 1,000 years ago. Stuff that was scientific fact 1,000 years ago was disproven 500 years ago. What we thought 25 years ago, they disproved 10 years ago. What we thought 10 years ago, it's obsolete today. If you had been reading the Bible 1,500 or 500 years ago, what the Bible says would not have matched the science of your day. Okay? Because God understands stuff even when we don't, and His rules don't change. Psalm 148, Let every created thing give praise to the Lord, for He issued His command. God set the rules in place. The laws of thermodynamics, the laws of gravity, the laws of physics, God set them into place and they came into being. He established them forever and ever, and His orders will never be revoked. And the second law of thermodynamics does not work today and won't work tomorrow. The law of gravity did not work yesterday, but it doesn't work today. You know, God established these laws, these scientific laws, forever and ever. That's one of the reasons why science works. Science works because there is order to creation. Creation is predictable. It follows the laws. Creation isn't run by willy-nilly chance. No. Now, one of the proofs that the Bible was uh, written by God, directed by God, is what's not in the Bible. It's what's not in it. If this were purely a human book, you would expect it to be filled with the prevailing scientific facts of the day. But they're not in the book. Not in here. For thousands of years, people believed the earth was flat. So you would expect the Bible would say that the earth was flat, because that was the prevailing science of the day when the Bible was written. But not a single verse in the Bible says that the earth is flat. In fact, 2,600 years ago in the book of Isaiah, the Bible said God is enthroned above the sphere of the earth. 2,600 years ago, the Bible said, hey guys, the, the world's a sphere. It's round. It's a globe. When that was written, nobody believed it. God said it because it was true. For thousands of years, people believed that the earth had to be held up by something. Okay. The Greeks believed that the world was held up by a giant named Atlas. Part of the Bible was written in Greek during that time frame. Atlas isn't anywhere in the Bible. Why? Because Atlas isn't true. It was the prevailing scientific theory of the day. It's not in the Bible because the Bible leaves out the lies. 
Bible tells us Moses was schooled in the wisdom of the ancient Egyptians. The Egyptians were masters at engineering, architecture, and astronomy. But they had it wrong on what held up the earth. The Egyptians believed that the earth was held up by five pillars. Now, certainly Moses was schooled in that science, yet not once in Scripture does it say that the earth was held up by five pillars. Why? Because it's not true. So it didn't make it into the Bible. The oldest known book, actually the oldest known book to man, is the book of Job. Now, the Bible isn't in chronological order. Job is the oldest book, the first book ever written. And in the oldest known literature, the human race, in Job 26.7, it says this, God stretches the sky over empty space and hangs the earth on nothing. Now, how in the world did Job know that? Because the Bible tells us the truth scientifically. For years, science accepted that there were a very limited number of stars in the universe. In 150 B.C., Hipparchus counted 1,022 stars in the universe. 300 years later, Ptolemy counted them and found four more. So, for years, it was accepted science of the day that there were 1,026 stars. The Bible doesn't say that. 2,600 years ago in Jeremiah 33 says the number of stars are infinite. I guess Hipparchus and Ptolemy didn't read that. But there it is, because it's the truth. For years, people believed that too much blood or bad blood in your body is what made you sick. For thousands of years, doctors believed that you would cut a sick person and bleed them in order to make them well. George Washington was killed by his doctors bleeding him. Uh, he was actually had heart problems. They came in, bled him, thinking he would make him well. He didn't get better, so they bled him again. Over the course of three days, they bled the guy to death. Because that was the prevailing scientific medical knowledge of the day. Now, today, we know that you, know, you don't take blood from sick people. You give sick people blood. Because we know that the blood is important to life. The doctors and scientists didn't know that for thousands of years. Look at Leviticus 17.11. The life of every creature is in its blood. How did Moses know that? And we didn't even know that blood circulates until about 1650. Before that, everybody thought the heart was the source of heat. But the Bible says the life is in the blood. During the Middle Ages, one out of four people died from the plague. Because we didn't understand germs. We didn't understand contagion, infection, the idea of quarantine. I mean, they had sick people sleeping with contagious people, and then they couldn't figure out why people just kept dying and dying and dying and dying. I mean, thousands of years before the bubonic plague hit Europe, Leviticus 13.4 said, put an infected person in quarantine for seven days. If he doesn't get well, quarantine him for another seven days. Thousands of years before we even knew what germs were, God said quarantine infected people for seven days. The Bible was ahead of science. Now, 2 Peter 3 uh, addresses the problem with modern-day science. Okay? He says, first of all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. 
You see, today, modern science thinks everything goes on just the way it always has. And so we can observe what's happening now, and based off of what's happening now, we can theorize and postulate about what happened in the past and what happens in the future. And you watch the Discovery Channel, and they just speak with great authority about what happened millions and billions of years ago. But nobody was there millions and billions of years ago to witness any of this stuff. They're just speculating based on what they have observed in the present. But what if the conditions in the past were far different than the conditions in the present? I mean, it would dramatically change their timeline. Let me give you a, a current illustration. The island of Japan is moving away from China out into the Pacific Ocean. The island of China, scientists have clocked the island of Japan. It is moving at a, a centimeter a year. Uh, that's about a quarter of an inch a year. And so they've postulated, okay, this is how long it's been moving. This is when it was attached to China. This is how long it's taken it to move here. And at this rate, it'll hit Hawaii about 600 million years from now. Okay? There's a problem with that. The problem is they're assuming that everything goes on as it has since the beginning. That is not the case. Remember last year when there was that earthquake, tsunami, and volcano that hit Japan and uh, disrupted the nuclear reactors and all that? In 10 seconds, Japan moved 8 feet away from China. In 10 seconds, it moved as far as scientists would have thought it would have taken it 250, 300 years to move. In 10 seconds. You know, when science talks about millions and billions of years, it's because they think everything happens the way they see it happen now. They remove the supernatural, they remove the cataclysmic and the miraculous from the equation. Peter puts it this way. He says, they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also, the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. Now, I've flown over the Grand Canyon many, many times. And it just seems evident to me that the Grand Canyon was not formed over millions and billions of years by a slow, steady rate of erosion. Honestly, folks, I fly where it looks to me like it was formed in a relatively short period of time by a gushing torrent of floodwaters draining over volcanic mud and ash that then dried and solidified into rock. You know, the after effect of Mount St. Helens, the volcano in Washington uh, several years ago, erosion has formed canyons in volcanic mud at a far faster rate than we ever imagined could happen. Now, the truth is, you can argue this stuff both ways. You can argue that it happened quickly. You can argue that it happened slowly. Both arguments have their problems. But here's what's happened. The, the modern evolutionary scientist has replaced God with time. They've replaced God with time. Evolutionary scientists look at the universe and they think that it just takes a lot of time for things to happen. They need millions and billions of years for chance evolution to do its work. You know, for me as a creationist who believes in the supernatural, the cataclysmic, the miraculous, how long does it take for this stuff to happen? I mean, if one earthquake can move Japan eight feet, imagine what Noah's flood could do. I mean, I don't need millions and billions of years for the universe to form. 
All I need is for God to go. <laughs> and there it is. I just need God to speak it. But no matter which way you argue it, fast or slow, nobody was there to see it except God. And personally, I'm willing to take the testimony of the eyewitness rather than to rest on the testimony of some evolutionary scientist who's got one tiny little bit of observable data here and then it postulates out from that, neglecting the infallible Word of God. Proverbs 35 says, Every word of God is flawless. My words aren't. Your words aren't. The scientist's words aren't. But God's words are flawless. And I can trust the Bible. It's historically, scientifically accurate. Number three, it's prophetically accurate. The Bible is filled with thousands of prophecies where God said, this is going to happen at such and such a time, in such and such a way, and it was fulfilled. There are over 300 prophecies in the Bible about Jesus as the Messiah. Prophecies that predict when and where and how he will be born. Now, if Jesus is a fraud and he's going to try and convince people that he's the Messiah, the first thing he would have to do is control when and where and how he was born. Okay? And I'll be honest with you, if he can do that, I'll follow him as the Messiah. Because nobody can do that. You know, a thousand years before Christ died on the cross, David in Psalm 22 describes in great detail the death that the Messiah would experience by crucifixion. A thousand years before they were crucifying people. How did he know to do that? I mean, Jesus didn't get to pick his manner of execution. The Bible says in 2 Peter, no prophecy ever originated from humans. Instead, it was given by the Holy Spirit as humans spoke under God's direction. You know, during Bible times, nobody wanted to be a prophet. Nobody was, nobody was scurrying around trying to be a prophet. Because, you know, the prophets came reluctantly because in those days, a prophet had to be 100% accurate. If you made a prophecy from God and it wasn't accurate, you were executed. You were stoned. So nobody wanted to be a prophet. Today, everybody wants to be a prophet. I mean, there are prophets, there are false prophets, there are four prophets. I mean, there are people spewing stuff here. Let me give you a tip. Never trust a psychic who asks you your name. Okay? Matthew 26, Jesus said, This is all happening to fulfill the words of the prophets as recorded in Scripture. And you can trust the Bible because it is prophetically accurate. Biblical prophecies are fulfilled. Fourth reason, I can trust the Bible. It is thematically unified. Same theme runs through the Bible from cover to cover, beginning to end, Genesis to Revelation. You might say, well, a big deal. Lots of books have, have the same theme. Well, yeah, if they're written by one author. But the, the Bible was written by poets, prophets, priests, princes, prisoners, kings, fishermen, tax collectors, scholars, businessmen, a doctor, even a fig farmer. I mean, you couldn't get a more diverse group, 40 different people over 1,600 years, and they come up with the same story. I mean, if I today passed out 50 sheets of paper uh, to you and said, here, tear these into a shape, didn't tell you what I was doing, just said, here, tear these into a shape, collected the pieces back, what would be the odds that they would fall into a perfect map of the 50 United States of America? Astronomical. Yet we've got 40 authors 
three different continents, three different languages, over 1,600 years, and it tells the same story. It makes a unified whole. Folks, that, that's remarkable. That's remarkable. Luke 24, Jesus says, where Luke says about Jesus, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, that's the whole Old Testament, Jesus explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. New Testament's not even written yet. Jesus just took the Old Testament. The story of the Bible is about Jesus from beginning to end. The stories, the pictures, the illusions, the metaphors, the analogies, everything in Scripture from beginning to end is the story about God's plan to create a forever family through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. I mean, you can see Christ in every book. John 5, 39, Jesus says, you search the Scriptures because you believe they give you eternal life, but the Scriptures point to me. It's not the same theme all the way through it. Fifth reason we know we can trust the Bible is it is confirmed by Jesus. Matthew 5.18. Jesus said, I'll tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Jesus said, this book isn't going anywhere. Not one letter, not one I, not one crossed T is going anywhere until God accomplishes what he wants to accomplish. John 10.35, Jesus said, Scripture is always true. Every sentence, every word, every letter in the Bible is true. Jesus doesn't talk about the Bible like it's poetry and history. He talks about it as if it's something that is life-changing. He says, blessed are those who hear the Word of God and obey it. Obey it. Don't just read it like it's poetry. And he talked about the Bible like it was a real book about real people doing real things in real time with a real God who's really at work in our lives. Jesus talked about Moses like Moses was a real person. He talked about all the prophets like they were real people. He believed in Noah. He believed everything about Noah's flood. He believed in Adam and Eve and creation. He believed in the tragedy of Sodom and Gomorrah. Jesus believed in Jonah and the whale. And those are the most debated stories today. You know, people say, oh, those are just myths and fables. They didn't really happen. Well, Jesus believed it really happened. I mean, honestly, how could God create a fish that can swallow a guy, hold him for three days, and then puke him out on the shore? I don't know. But Jesus believed it. So I do, too. You know, 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 years later, we're going to paw through the Bible and say, well, you know, I'm going to trust this part, but I'm not going to trust this part. If you only believe the parts of the Bible that you like, and you don't believe the parts of the Bible that you don't like, then you're not trusting in this book. You're trusting in yourself. How's that working for you? I mean, I found my own opinions, my own ideas, my own thoughts aren't always trustworthy. But the Bible is always trustworthy. It's always true. Sixth reason you can trust the Bible. It has survived all attacks. It, it, it's always, you know, over the years, and I'm at the point now where it's gotten humorous to me. When I'll, I'll get challenged by somebody, and usually it's some young kind of college-age guy who contact me, and he'll want to debate me or quiz me about the Bible. Like, he's going to be the one who's going to prove that the Bible isn't true. He's going to, you know, he's going to find the one flaw that causes Christianity to collapse in a heap with all the same, yes, that was wrong. And anymore, I, I'm kind of losing my patience with them. You know, I, I talk to them a little bit and find out where they're going, and I just want to say, dude, you are not that smart. I mean, smarter people than you have taken this on. 
and tried to disprove Christianity, and it doesn't work. In fact, the more people try to disprove it, the more they wind up believing it. The Bible is the most despised, derided, denied, disputed, dissected, debated, destroyed book in history. And the Bible has been under attack for century after century after century, and it is still the most read, the most published, the most translated, the best-selling book in the world. There's a reason for that. Well, the Bible is the single greatest inspiration for art, music, and architecture. And if you take the Bible out of culture, you will destroy the art, music, and architecture of the last 2,000 years. Because the Bible has been the key to our culture. Jesus said in Matthew 24, 35, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Everything else is going to burn up, but the Word of God is eternal. Voltaire was a French philosopher and atheist. And he made this statement. He said, 100 years from today, the Bible will be a forgotten book. Voltaire died in 1778. Okay? Bible's still the best-selling book. Nobody remembers Voltaire said that. In fact, after Voltaire died, for nearly 100 years, the French Bible Society sold Bibles out of his house. <laughs> You know, I mean, people have forgotten Voltaire. They're still reading the Bible. Grass withers and the flowers fade, but the Word of God stands forever. And temporary stuff just wilts. Today's news is worthless tomorrow. You don't read last week's newspaper. You don't read last year's science book. But God's Word stands forever. This is my favorite one. You can trust the Bible because it has transforming power. Nothing changes a life like the Bible. I mean, I have seen flat-out drunks and alcoholics get their life clean and sober because they started reading the Bible. Uh, I have seen the most self-centered, narcissistic, all-about-me, abusive men who would rip anybody off for a buck read the Bible and have their lives transformed and become godly husbands, wonderful dads, and pillars of the community. And the Bible changes people that you would never imagine could be changed. Jesus said, if you continue in my word, then you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Now, it's ironic that secular universities all over the world have the second half of that verse carved in stone over their doors. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Yet they ignore God, and they ignore the Bible. They forget the first part of the verse. If you continue in my word. If you continue in my word. Not if you make up your own truth. Not, not if you base it on your own experience and observation. If you continue in my word. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free, because this book will never lie to you. This book will never lie to you. Now, some of you may be at a red light moment in the band saying earlier about, you know, you can stop and think at a red light. And you may be at a red light moment. You may be asking the big question, the most important question, the foundational question. What is going to be the authority of my life? What's going to be the foundation of my life? Is the authority of my life going to be the Word of God or is it going to be the world? Is it going to be public opinion, or is it going to be my own thoughts and ideas? Who's going to be the authority in my life? Romans 12 says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. 
then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. God has a good, pleasing, and perfect will for your life, and that will is found in His Word. Let's pray together. Maybe you're here today and, and, and you just need to say, God, this is my moment. I'm making the decision today that the authority, the final authority in my life is going to be your word. It's not going to be what popular opinion says. It's not going to be what I feel. It's not going to be what's on TV. I'm going to make the Bible the final authority for my life. Would you just say to me, God, I want to love your word. I want to learn your word. I'm going to live your word like I never have before. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Uh, before the band sings, I want us to work on our memory verse for this week. Our memory verse is found in Colossians 3.16, and it is, uh, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And when you're saying a memory verse, it really helps if you say the reference before the verse and after the verse, so that you can really clinch uh, the address of the verse and then say the verse. So let's start in our memory verse this week. What is it? And what does it say? And where do we find it? Very good. And what's the reference? Shannon, take it down. And what does it say? Where is it found? What was the reference? And what does it say? And the reference is? Very good. You done tuning in, Andy, or should I keep going? What's the reference? And the verse is? That the word of Christ dwell you richly. And the reference? Colossians 3.16. What do you think, Shane? So are they smarter than the 9 o'clock group? That's good. That's good. Yeah.